Hey, all you creeps, welcome back to Murder on the 420 Express, the show where we get stoned and mind blown and we talk about the strange and unusual, because I myself am strange and unusual. I'm your host, your conductor, your bud connoisseur, L. And in today's episode, we are talking about the very real case that quite possibly could have inspired one of the most terrifying video games out there. This episode is uh, brought to you by some very real jump scares and keeping one eye open at night. dive into today's creepy ass episode and down some monstrosis down the that's <laughs> and one that is downright monstrosis thank you l for getting it together today um let's talk about our strain of the day our strain of the day is called green crack yeah yeah, no, you heard that right. It's called Green Crack, also known as Green Crush and Mango Crack. This potent sativa strain is created by breeding skunk number one and an unknown indica. One of the effects you will notice when you light this golden girl ablaze is the energizing feeling that induces an invigorating buzz that can keep you going throughout the day. If you haven't noticed, this strain is a sativa. <laughs> and green crack is an amazing strain to help fight fatigue, stress, and depression in consumers. With its tangy, fruity flavor resembling that of biting into a mango. Mm, I love me some mangoes. But this strain is definitely fucking needed for, the to- for, the, for what this session is about. Or what this episode is about, whatever you want to call it. This is your smoke sesh time, or maybe this is your uh, true crime, get it weird t- time. I'm, I don't judge, okay? I don't judge out here. But before <laughs> we get into some really creepy shit, okay, let's read a little something out of weed. 420 things that you didn't know or remember about cannabis. One of my favorite cannabis books um, because it's just downright full of some funny ass shit and it's, it, it's all fucking funny. I love it. I love it all. So let's do number 161. Hit the road. Again, that pesky driving under the influence law rears its ugly head. But one of the best places to get lit without getting caught is in your car. When you've got your windows up and you're cruising, there's no chance that anyone can smell the skunkweed coming from your whip. So next time you have someone breathing down your neck and you need to relax with a little help of some THC, 
hit the road and take a hit. Aside from Amsterdam, it's the safest place to toke. Meaning that, you know, there's really no crime in Amsterdam and you can smoke outside in Amsterdam. You can't really smoke outside in public spaces in, with cannabis in the United States. It's just, it's just, it's just not a thing. You, you really can't. There's really no place for us to do that. You got to buy your weed and you got to go home. You got to smoke at home. But please keep in mind, you can't smoke inside the apartment building. You have to smoke outside. But if you smoke outside, you're smoking in a public area. <laughs> so, like, there's there's really no way around it. It's just like a whole ass fucking paradox and whatever. Whatever. You know what I mean? Probably not, but that's okay. So with our weed segments out of the way, let's let's get this train rolling and in the direction of what this episode is about. Now, if you haven't already noticed the title of this episode, it is it is called um, The Real Five Nights at Freddy's Nathan Donalip or I should say. Um, the Chucky, the Aurora Chucky e. Cheese shooting. Um, so let's get into today's episode. Now I am going to, I should probably be doing this in every single episode, but it goes without saying that there is a trigger warning in place. Um, and when I say trigger warning, there's a lot of things that um, happen or I go into a lot of things that aren't so nice to hear about and can be very triggering to a lot of you. So you've been warned. This is your trigger warning. All right, let's get into this. All right. Now let's get into our case. The main reason why you're here. Supposedly, the rumor is that this particular case, this murder, this shooting, was the inspiration or quite possibly um, planted a seed to in creating one of the most terrifying video games out there on the market today and also has become a very notable franchise. What am I talking about, you might ask? I'm talking about Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, that video game. The one that my seven-year-old is completely fucking obsessed with. Don't ask me why. I don't fucking know. But everybody likes horror. Everybody loves a good horror video game. We were all into Resident Evil at the time. And look at what happened last episode. We got some real-life zombies happening, (laughs) you know? Also, don't ever play Resident Evil at night in the dark by yourself that shit is terrifying i know it may seem a little far-fetched that this chilling attack on five people would result in being the inspiration or quote-unquote rumored allegedly inspiration for this video game allegedly but let's take a deeper dive into and let's get stoned and mind blown right here on the murder on the 420 express Nathan Donalip was 19 years old when he would follow through on a heinous act of revenge 
that would forever change the course of his life. This episode is brought to you by A Love Story Photography, where every story is founded by love. You can find them on Instagram at a love story photo or shooting them an email at a love story photography at yahoo.com. April 8th, 1974, Nathan Donalip was born. Nathan would depict in his trial that his childhood was ideal, perfect, very wonderful. In reality, it was quite the opposite. Nathan would never meet or know who his biological father was. His mother would marry a man by the name of Jerry Donalip. See where he gets his last name from? Six months after Nathan was born. Now, Jerry is not the type of guy you would want to invite over for a good time. Uh, here's why. Jerry, he's abusive. But like the worst kind of abusive. As if being abusive isn't bad enough. There were news articles. There are news articles that would come out during the time of his trial that would describe how brutal the abuse was. One stated that Jerry threw Nathan down a flight of stairs. There also would be testimony of Jerry pounding on his son in a Burger King bathroom and slamming Donalip into a locker. This Jerry guy, not a good guy. Why Nathan said his childhood was great is beyond me because that doesn't sound like a good time. Nathan was not the only child that would suffer the hand of abuse from Jerry. His older sister, uh, Adina, was also a victim to this monster. One day, Nathan would stumble upon Adina and Jerry in the basement of their family home. Being the protective older sister that she is, Adina told Nathan that her and Jerry were just playing. Just so we're all aware, we all know they were not playing. Jerry was sexually assaulting her. From then on, the abuse for Nathan only became more severe. As he was taking the abuse at home, he was in turn wreaking havoc on the streets of Aurora. When he was 15 years old, a social worker had told him that Jerry, the only father he had ever known, the father that abused him, the father that sexually assaulted his sister, was not his biological father. So this behavior started to become more erratic. He was committing petty crimes that would later turn into more serious robberies. By the time he turned 19, a life of violence and crime was all Nathan knew. He had been in and out of juvenile detention centers as well. However, May of 93, he was hired on at a Chuck E. Cheese. Good old corporate America coming to save the day. That victory was short-lived as he was fired two months later in July due to a scheduling conflict. Reports of Nathan and the scheduling manager, which I'm assuming was one of the victims, were said to be having an argument over what days Nathan was to be working. We all know how that conversation goes, okay? Like, well, I need you to work Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. Or we don't have coverage, so you can't take your time off wasn't approved. The, the list goes on and on and on. <clears throat> so my guess 
is that the argument had to be pretty bad for him to get fired over a scheduling conflict. Like usually those things can be worked out fairly quick and what have you. He was fired. He was, sorry, let me go back. He was hired in May of 93. He would later be fired July of 93. This crime did not take place until December 14th of 1993. This man held a fucking grudge for five months. He held a grudge for five fucking months. Usually when you work at a place for fucking two months and you have a fight or a like take the scheduling conflict for for instance what if it wasn't that bad of a conflict and maybe he was just like you know what this can't work out for me i don't want to you have to work with what my schedule is and she's like i don't have to work with shit you fired normal people move the fuck on you work there for two months you move the fuck on he worked there for two months and held a grudge for five months. This was an act of revenge. You can't tell me otherwise. You cannot tell me otherwise. So the night of December 14th, 1993 is probably one of the most blood curdling, spine chilling events to ever fucking happen. Nathan arrived to his former work establishment and started his killing spree. 50 year old Margaret Kohlberg watched the clock. It was nearly 10 p.m. on a Tuesday night. And, and her crew, they were antsy. A family birthday party had stayed late at the Aurora Chuck E. Cheese, and the parents were just now building up, bundling up their two kids against the cold, the winter cold. Margaret headed back to the office and started tallying the receipts. She'd go home in a few minutes after she got her teenage workers out the door. Sylvia Crowell started cleaning the salad bar. The 19-year-old was balancing a full-time work schedule and classes at Metro State. But that day, she had gone shopping with her best friend, Carol Richens, before they clocked in for the night shift at the pizzeria. Carol had just left, shouting, I love you, over the, re- over the restaurant's cacophony of arcade games and animated toys. Nearby, Ben Grant, a high school junior, turned on the vacuum and its whirling helped drown out the noise. He tossed the cord behind him, absentmindedly sucking up pizza crumbs and food left crushed into the carpet by the kids. Colleen O'Connor was helping close that night, too, but she was distracted. The 17-year-old had called her mom during a break three hours before and found out her parents were giving her a car. Her parents were giving her a car. In the kitchen, Bobby Stevens scrubbed away. He hadn't had, he, he wasn't scheduled to work that day, but he needed the cash. So just 20 and he had a seven-month-old baby at home. With the holidays coming up, he had stopped in and asked for extra hours and they put him to work hope they were like get you some get you some OT the small crew continued closing the routine so familiar that they worked with the robotic motions of the mechanized creatures that danced twirled and sang around them 
picture that. The animatronics were still going. The music was still going. The arcade game, the noises, they were still going. It's like this happy-go-lucky type of fucking background. Sylvia didn't hear the intruder come up behind her. Silently, he raised the 2.5 caliber semi-automatic pistol to her left ear and squeezed. As she fell, he looked away. He couldn't stomach the sight of gore and blood, so he moved quickly to where Ben was vacuuming. The bullet entered Ben's eye, lodging in his brain as he fell to the ground. Colleen saw him coming. He was a boy with a gun. He had two big brown eyes above hollowed cheeks and a mouth that twisted in a half smile. Kneeling in front of him, he be- she begged for her life. Raising her arms, her fists clenched as he held a gun just 18 inches from her face. Don't shoot, she would cry out. I won't tell. Reportedly, he said, I have to. And he pulled the trigger. Inside the kitchen, Bobby heard the three sharp cracks, but he didn't stop working. Supposedly, and from different news sources, Bobby was actually on a smoke break at the time. So the sounds of the gunshots that were going off, he, in in here, that Sylvia and Colleen were probably popping the balloons. So that's what he mistook them for. Um... But in the trial, how they said he went about everything, supposedly Bobby Stevens was in the kitchen. So there there are multiple different sources that say he was outside and then he came back in. And when he came back in, he was in the kitchen. Um, The one that I read that was from the trial was that he was cleaning dishes, but he was still in the kitchen. He never went outside for a smoke break. So there's some speculation there um, as to what's true and what's not. Now, keep in mind, Bobby Stevens is the only survivor of this shooting. Um, But let's um, let's move on. I got a little sidetracked there. So Bobby figured that Sylvia and Colleen were probably popping balloons, and that was the reason for the three sharp cracks he didn't have time to think about it much before the kid with the gun barged into the kitchen tall but gaunt like a boy who's not quite yet a man the intruder was wearing a jacket gloves with holes cut out of the knuckles and a baseball cap perched backwards on his head stunned bobby started to say hello half smirking the shooter raised his arm and shot bobby The bullet entered Bobby's jaw and sent him sprawling to the floor. It felt like a burn, a cigarette scorching his skin, and then like a baseball bat slamming into his face. He watched as a pair of black high-top shoes headed towards the office. Margaret was still counting the evening's receipts. She did what what he asked and opened the safe. And the last words she heard were, Thank you. He shot her in the ear, then grabbed her bag, filled it with game tokens, keychains, cards, and almost $1,600 in some change. He shot her again in the other ear just to make sure. Six 
2.5 caliber shell casings dotted the floor. The shooting spree could have lasted, couldn't have lasted more than five minutes. It would only take a few hours after the Chuck E. Cheese massacre for the police to track down the 16-year-old shooter, sorry, the 19-year-old shooter, Nathan Gerard Donalip. He was at his girlfriend's apartment. The couple was, were having sex when his pager went off with a message from his mother who was relaying a message from the cops. The investigator had heard he ate dinner at the restaurant that night and wanted to ask him a few questions. Donalip agreed to meet before returning to his home, an apartment that he shared with his mother. The teenager washed his hands with hydrogen peroxide and jumped in the shower when then stashed some money under the freezer. Back at his home, the police questioned him, swabbed his hands for gunshot residue and took his clothes into evidence. About 12 hours after the murders, the police returned to Donalip's home and cuffed and arrested the teen. Donalip was found guilty on four counts of first-degree murder, attempted murder, along with charges, along with other charges, sorry, and was sentenced to death by lethal injection on May 17, 1996. A judge initially set an execution date for him in August of 2013, but but the Colorado governor, John, ooh, that's a fucking last name if I ever saw one Hickenlooper (laughs) Hickenlooper signed a temporary reprieve that would postpone Donalip's execution date Donalip's date uh, Donalip's death sentence was communed to life in prison without parole in in 2020 after Colorado abolished the death penalty the motherfucker is still alive still fucking alive can you believe that shit so how does five nights at freddy's come into play here i mean the events just don't add up right look let's take a look into the lore of five nights at freddy's and see how the events correlate to the stories of the horror game um many fan-based backstories tell a terror of itself perhaps one of the most a most appealing factors of the current state of Five Nights at Freddy's is the intense amount of detailed and compelling lore that surrounds the many events and characters of the series. The first Five Nights at Freddy's release came in 2014 and immediately rose towards the top of the survival horror genre thanks to the deeply tense nature of its sinister gameplay. In the game, the player takes control of a night shift security guard at a derelict pizzeria known as Freddy Fazbear's Pizza. Kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. Hmm. <laughs> kind of like Chuck E. Cheese. Bitch, the, when I first heard about Five Nights at Freddy's, I was like, oh, that's kind of creepy because I'm a 90s kid right i grew up with the oh you gotta have your birthday at fucking chuck e cheese or peter piper pizza or what was the fucking other one there's another one out there i grew up in that genre of oh yeah you gotta you if you have a birthday party you have to have it at one of these fucking places 
Like, it was just the it thing. Oh, Boy Winkles! That's what it was! Boy Winkles! Does anybody fucking remember Boy Winkles? I know the TV show, okay? I'm not talking about the TV show. I'm talking about the actual fucking pizzeria, Boy Winkles. My mom used to work there when I was, like, an infant or some shit, right? And I, re- I remember going there quite frequently, and it reminded me of Chuck E. Cheese, also Peter Piper Pizza, and all of those other... Like, does anybody else remember going to a Boy Winkles? Let me know. I need to know. I'm, I can't be the only one, all right? I can't be the only one. So, where was I? In the game, the player takes control of a night shift security guard at a derelict pizzeria known as Freddy Fazbear's, which is rumored to contain haunted and reanimated life-size animatronics that wander the facility at night. (laughs) At night. (laughs) SpongeBob, anybody get the reference? I hope you do. The pizzeria itself is in a state of disrepair thanks to a series of tragedies associated with it, namely the kidnapping and likely murder of five, there's that number again, five, five children by a man named William Afton. It is rumored that the victims' bodies had been stuffed inside the many animatronic mascots of the pizzeria named Freddy, Bonnie, Chica and Foxy. Bitch, that's only four. Where's the fifth one? Which had led to a widespread boycott of the business and directly led to its demise. With the protagonist monitoring the animatronics at night through the use of security cameras, it quickly becomes apparent that these rumors are true. With the mascots moving freely through the facility, edging closer and closer to the player's location with malicious intent. The player can only survive the lengthy period in the facility by managing the power supply of the doors and lights, ensuring that none of the possessed animatronics can get close enough to inflict a mortal wound. FNAF 2, Five Nights at Freddy's 2, goes into more detail about the uh, aforementioned murders of five children that was that were explore that was to be explored within the game <clears throat> or within the first game telling the lore via atari style mini games the perpetrator of these crimes is depicted as a sinister and gaunt purple figure earning him the the name of the purple guy from um that's what osiris when i when osiris uh started getting really interested in five nights at freddy's um there's this song i had to download because he fucking loved listen listening to it so much called the afton family song and um he was talking and mentioning purple guy purple guy killed those kids and he became such and such. I'm not going to ruin the fucking folklore story here. But like he goes into so much detail about this fucking purple guy. Following the murderous intent displayed by the newly introduced animatronics in the title, 
the game ends with them being decommissioned in favor of the classic characters to dominate the first game or that dominated the first game. The third mainline installment of Five Nights at Freddy's of the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise gave fans a huge acceleration to the series lore and story. Taking place 30 years after the events of the original game, the game is set within a new establishment called Fred, uh, Fazbear's Fright, a horror attraction att- attempting to capitalize on the sinister urban legends surrounding the restaurant chain. Once again, the players assume the role of a night shift security worker at the location with deadly paranormal encounters saturating the core gameplay of the title. The key lore of Five Nights at Freddy's 3 stems from the introduction of a brand new animatronic name, uh, a brand new animatronic known as Springtrap. So supposedly, this is what my fucking, okay, let me get into it. It is revealed through through the same kind of mini games of FNAF 2 that Springtrap was formed from the killer William Afton, or also known as Purple Guy, hiding from the ghosts of his victims in an empty rabbit animatronic suit. With the suit malfunctioning and trapping Afton's inside, his spirit seemingly lingers on inside fucking crazy dude that shit is so fucking like the the lore and the story and the detail that goes in behind it and is pretty much the plot and premise to every single gameplay is beyond me right because there i think in the first one the very first five nights at freddy's wasn't necessarily meant to have any lore other than these animatronics they come to life at night and you have to survive the night you have to survive the night and each night progressively gets fucking harder. My question is, is in the lore, they said that five children died, but there's only four animatronics. There's only four animatronics, but you killed five children. I have questions. Where the fuck is the fifth one? Right. But going into um, FNAF 3, you're introduced to Springtrap, which is which pretty much is William Afton, the murderer who stuffed himself inside of an animatronic to hide from the spirits that haunted these other animatronics. It's crazy. The fucking lore, the gameplay, the story, it's all fucking crazy. So how does this mass shooting and Five Nights at Freddy's correlate? And I'll tell you what my theory is. I don't necessarily think the more that I read into this and the more research that I did, because it seemed kind of familiar. I just, I saw a blog post. So the blog post is what intrigued me the most, right? Because they said that, oh, how, how, how this real life Chuck E. Cheese shooting inspired the game. And the more I did my own research into it and the more I started, I don't necessarily think that the shooting itself or the tragic accident that happened that night at Chuck E. Cheese has anything to do with the Five Nights at Freddy's gameplay. I know I kind of tricked you there in the beginning of this episode, but I'm being for real. I'm being honest. Like, I really don't think 
that there's any sort of correlation between the two. But I do see where the aspect comes into play. So, like, it's really creepy. And I think we can all fucking agree on that, right? That it's really creepy that really sinister and tragic events happened all while animatronics are singing, they're dancing, you have arcade games going. These, like that ambiance in and of itself is meant to be cheerful. It's meant to bring about some level of joy and excitement. It's not supposed to bring about a level of terror. So it kind of, what it does is it kind of flips a switch and when you go into these sort of establishments and you already, like, say you already know about this case or you already know about Five Nights at Freddy's. When you go into establishments like this, it, it begs the question of like, oh, man, this place is kind of creepy. This place doesn't really seem like it's fun and shit anymore. It does the opposite effect. I don't know what exactly what it's called, but there's probably a terminology for it. And so when we when we talk about Five Nights at Freddy's, right? One of the one of the things that came to mind when I first heard about Five Nights at Freddy's was Terminator. The mecha like the animatronics, they come to life. They have a mind of their own. It's almost like the impending apocalypse doom of robots taking over the world, which is not far off either. That is not far off either. The thing I like about Five Nights at Freddy's, though, is the fact that they took a paranormal approach. They didn't take a real life, a real life um, approach to it. They took a paranormal approach to it. These kids died and their spirits, these kids were murdered. Their bodies were stuffed in these animatronics. And now their spirit is haunting the fucking animatronic. And that's why they come to life at night. Because they're trying to seek some sort of revenge against this fucking purple guy, a.k.a. William Afton, who fucking decided, you know what, today was a good day for me to kidnap some kids and kill them. Yeah. Like, they took the paranormal approach. Now, in a YouTube video that I saw in my research for the, the Chuck E. Cheese shooting, um, the guy goes to the actual location. Now, the location itself is now a Panera Bread. It is no longer a Chuck E. Cheese. I don't know when that business establishment decided to, uh, I don't know when Chuck E. Cheese decided, you know what, we're just going to shut this location down, which rightfully fucking so. <laughs> like, I would not want to bring my kid there. After something like that happened, hell no. We're not, we're not even going there. I don't even like going there to begin with because of how fucking creepy it is. But I digress. So it's now a Panera Bread. Now, <clears throat> back in the day, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my work experience. Because it also has a lot to do with the paranormal experience. And also a very real thing that actually fucking happened. And maybe since I don't work for the company anymore... I can actually talk about what happened and go into detail about that. Um, so, yeah, let me just do that now. So I used to work for U-Haul. U-Haul. You move it. 
that type of shit. So the store that I worked at um, when I first started working at U-Haul, I worked at one location and then I was transferred to another location. The That location, what happened was um, a murder happened there. <laughs> Let me just throw that out in the open. A murder fucking happened at the store that I was transferred to. Okay. Um, same concept as what happened with Nathan Donalip. It, it was planned and executed by a former employee who was fired. I don't remember if he was fired over scheduling issues or if he was fired over the fact that he was caught stealing. I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, but my first day, my first day working there, the assistant store manager, um, who was acting general manager of the location, he's like, I do this with every employee that starts because you will be asked, is this the location where the two people were murdered? The answer is yes. Um, and he takes me around and he tells me that he's like, this is the area in which they were murdered. And underneath the linoleum, you, the blood stain on the concrete is still there. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. That, that's, that's lovely information for me to know. Okay. Thank you. Like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Like, but like being a new employee at a new location and knowing that a murder happened there because a, disru- a disgruntled former employee was unhappy with the way that they were let go, that could literally happen to any work environment anywhere. It's a possibility. You can't tell me it's not because Nathan Donalip and what happened at my former job that that's the thing so these murders that happened at the u-haul happened back in the 90s as well um but it still goes without saying that fucking location is haunted and you can't tell me otherwise i have so many experiences with the paranormal specifically at that u-haul location i i i don't have enough hands or fingers to tell you how many instances I had with or encounters with the paranormal that I had at that job in particular. So it is very likely that if they kept that Chuck E. Cheese going, that that fucking place would have been haunted. And it probably still is. I would love to talk to some of the employees that work for Panera and see if they have any you know, fucking encounters with the paranormal because that was a very tragic accident that happened there. And we all know what happens when tragedy strikes. It's like this big surge of energy. So like energetically, you can't tell me that there's not some, some level of paranormal activity that happens there. But anyways, it was probably a really good idea that Chuck E. Cheese shut their shit down because 
could you imagine they just take like they take control of the animatronics like these spirits these ghosts these fucking poltergeists of the people that were murdered there i mean it's fucking tragic because all of them were teenagers other than margaret who was in her 50s but still it doesn't matter how old you are it didn't need to happen it you he didn't need to hold a grudge for five months it didn't need to happen now it has been said that nathan was diagnosed with bipolar disorder because his mother was also diagnosed as a schizophrenic and she also had bipolar disorder and bipolar disorder is a disorder that you can carry out genetically and it is more more often than not that he probably had bipolar disorder now i'm not saying people who have bipolar disorder are more likely to do something like this i'm just telling you Specifically, Nathan probably had bipolar disorder because his mother had it. And with all of the tragic incidences that happened in his childhood, I mean, we've heard it from Richard Ramirez. Like, if you go back to the episode that Mandy and I did on Richard Ramirez, he was severely beat by his father to the point where he had brain damage. And you i'm gonna take a a note out of the morbid handbook you can feel bad for the the child that's being abused but but don't feel bad for the adult that committed the crime because they they knew what they were doing they didn't have to do it but they knew what they were doing whether or not they could control the urge or not that's when you decide to seek help that's when you decide this is the time that hey something's not right but everyone's everyone's experience is different and i'm just here to tell stories i'm just here to get stoned and mind blown and talk about some weird shit but those kids they didn't deserve to die and even in horror gameplays such as five nights at freddy's those kids didn't deserve to die even if they are fiction. They didn't deserve to die. They make a great story. Now that our session is coming to a close, I just want to say, if you have played Five Nights at Freddy's, what was your takeaway from the storyline? And what do you think are the correlations? What is your takeaway from the gameplay? And what is your takeaway from the real tragedy that happened. Either way, Nathan Donalip got the death penalty and because Colorado abolished the death penalty sentence, he is now serving life in prison without parole. Um, which to me, to me, by the grace of, by the grace of God, he is just meant to die and rot in prison for the tragic crime that he committed when he was 19 years old. He is what? He was born in 74. He was 19 at the time. He, how old am I, bitch? <laughs> 29 years. <coughs> he has spent the last 29 years in prison. He's coming up on fucking 30 years. 
30 years, man. I mean, he just, what is it? This episode is January. Yeah. So this past December in 2022 was 29 years. 29 years. How fucking crazy is that shit? I was just a wee little baby when that happened. But now that our session is coming to a close, my dudes, I must, I must say, if this episode piqued your interest in any way, shape, or form, and and you want more, give us a follow on Instagram and TikTok at Murder on the Four Twenty Official, and also don't forget to subscribe and turn your notifications on so that you know when all the latest new episodes are aired, which they're aired every Thursday and share this episode with your friends and family or whoever the hell has the same horrific taste in podcasts as you if you have a story to share that is spooky kooky and just downright mind-blowing send us an email at murder on the 420 podcast at gmail.com have your story aired with others who also have a higher train of thought like you and if you loved this podcast tell us Leave us a five-star review and have your comments read at the end of every episode. I wish you all a wonderful week and watch out for those animatronics. I'm your host, L. This is Murder on the 420 Express, leaving you with a higher train of thought.